From Hell I Write by Jake Wick. I write to you now, but I do not write from my room. With a bed so soft and a window so bright, I do not write from my home. With couches so comfortable and food so, so good. Oh, food, how I miss it. Water, too. If I could get one drop, oh, how I would thank God. Well, I thank somebody for it. Anyways, I do not write from my treehouse among friends so dear and chirping birds so near. I do not write even from the world you live in right now. No, I reap. No, I write from a place much, much worse. It's ironic because during my last moments in the world, I couldn't imagine any sort of place worse than the place we call Earth. I thought such a place couldn't possibly exist. Now, how wrong I was. Allow me to introduce myself. My name is Patrick, and for you to understand my train of thought, I need to take you back a little while. Back to a world God, your God, no longer mine, put me on. Oh, the 80s, what a time to be alive. Great movies, great music, somewhat. Great friends, great family, great house, great life, great, sorry, I'm rambling. 11 years old, that was me. Living in a suburban home with my mother, Sarah, my dad, Vincent, my asshole 13 year old twin brothers, Darren and Bryce, and of course, my five year old sister, Nancy. Come to think of it, I wonder how she's doing right now, sweet little Nancy. She was always so precious, so innocent. I hope that what that we went through together never changed that. Anyhow, I can remember the day so clearly. I was playing a basketball game with two on one. I was the one with Darren and Bryce. The two jerks were creaming me, of course, never hasting to shove me around and taunt me. Patrick, you, your ass at this, they would say. Well, of course I was ass. I was an 11-year-old playing two-on-one against one 13-year-old pricks. Um, actually, you know something? I'm going to stop calling them names. See, when you're on Earth, it's easy to call your family members names and quarrel with them constantly. Where I am now, though, you give anything just to hug them for five seconds and tell them how much you love them. Oops, I'm rambling again. Well, soon enough, our mother called us in as we were having some guests over that night, our new neighbors. The new neighbors in question were the Hoffmeister family up to that point. All I had heard from my brothers say about the Hoffmeisters were things like, they're creepy as shit and weird asses, people who gotta go. I don't share these opinions. They seem like okay people to me. Nonetheless, the Hoffmeisters came over that night. The family consisted of three. First, there was 60-year-old Eileen, a skinny woman with short, gray hair, always wearing black dresses. Next, we had none other than 60-somethings-year-old Leo. <laughs> Don't really remember that bastard's age, nor do I care to. Also, extremely thin, with a long nose that would make the pasty white guy on the Pink Panther show jealous. Then, there was David their 11-year-old insecure adopted son. I'm pretty sure Leo and Dad are in the same place I'm waiting for them right now, but I'm not certain. Seeing we don't really get to speak with anyone else here. Anyways, it was a quite an eventful evening. Eileen and Leo had tea with my parents while Darren, Bryce, David, and I hung out in the treehouse playing cards. In the treehouse, I started to get to know David a little bit better. I must say, though, he seemed a bit on the weird side. 
he was pretty awkward when it came to discussing things such as where he moved from or what life at home was like. Still, he was a nice kid, just very shy. Later that night, the sun went down. My brothers had already gone home, and David and I were walking down our street lamp lit road. That's when we invited me to his house for a bit. It was a Friday night, so I figured it'd be okay. Let me say this, his house was big. It was the biggest in the neighborhood, down at the end of my street, sitting high on the hilltop as if it were better than all the others. Behind it was a large field that eventually merged into some woods which lined the horizon. Entering David's house, we walked into his kitchen, where he told me to take my shoes off so as not to upset his parents. I heard some footsteps downstairs, so I figured his parents must have to dodge my questions about his home life. Oh, my bad. I heard some footsteps upstairs, so I figured his parents must have gotten back from my house. So, we sat down at this counter, eating yogurt, with David continuing to dodge my questions about his home life, or just his life in general. All I know was that he was adopted. Soon enough, I heard Aline upstairs. David, come upstairs, please, she said. David told me to stay put, as he'd only be a minute. And just like that, he was gone. I sat alone in the kitchen, finishing off my yogurt cup. I decided to get up and look around a bit to keep myself busy while David was upstairs doing whatever the hell he was doing. Looking at the fridge, I got a look at some of the pictures that were magnetized to it. These included family photos with the grinning faces of Aline and Leo, and the frowning face of David. Why did David look so unhappy in all these photos? Oh, and another thing. There was a photo of the of the fridge of some kid sitting on the floor of what looked like a cellar, just staring up at the camera with a blank face. Strange. I then walked over to a shelf in the living room, which was stocked with framed photos and figurines. Lots of self-portraits here, including one of Elaine, her friend's expression blank, eyes looking very cold and lifeless. For some reason, it kind of reminded me of, of this portrait I'd seen once of the very famous cowboy named Buffalo Bill. Some sort of stare and expression, and where not. Anyway, sorry, I don't even know why the name came to mind. I started to look at some of the figurines up on the shelf in Mickey Mouse doll. This creeped me out in a pentagram necklace. Oh, and there was also a crucifix necklace, but the cross was upside down. What idiot messed that up? I thought to myself. I then realized that David had been gone for a while, and I was getting a little bored while looking at people's decorations. I decided to go upstairs and find him. Walking up the stairs, I began to hear some weird noises coming from one of the rooms upstairs. It sounded like chanting. As I got to the top of the stairs, I confirmed that it was. I looked down the, st down the upstairs hall of the Hallmeister home and saw that one of the rooms had a light on inside. The door opened just a crack. As I walked toward the door, I could clearly hear Aline and Leo chanting in some weird language I'd never ever heard before. I slowly crept toward the room, a decision I regret to this day. I pushed the door open slightly, just enough to see Aline and Leo on the floor on their hands and knees, bowing down to something that was just out of my view. I didn't dare open the door any wider than I already had, even if it meant satisfying my curiosity to see what in blazes they were bowing down to. From my point of view, I could see a small cauldron filled with a steamy liquid 
Leo was blowing cigar smoke and spitting rum into his bowl. The whole atmosphere in the room was different. I don't know how to really describe it. It was just like I could feel the presence of someone else in there, but I couldn't see them. Then I saw David in the back corner of the room curled up in a fetal position, bawling his eyes out. He looked more terrified than anybody I'd ever seen up to that point. Now it's a different story. David's terror only grew when his mother, if you even could call the awful witch such a thing, stormed over to his corner of the room and grabbed him by the wrist, pulling up off the ground in an attempt to get him to bow down to whatever they were bowing to. I could see his fear grow when he watched Leo pull a rooster out of his burlap sack and chop its head off in a brutal animal sacrifice. Then his face went white with a horror as he realized how much trouble he was in when the when piss began running down his leg and onto the floor. That did it. Liam began to slapping David over and over and over again, and screaming at him, You never, never, never do that in front of the beast, she screamed. The beating eventually stopped and David was just a heaping mess in a puddle of his own tears and piss. This is when I decided that it was a good idea to get the hell out. I turned to exit, but in my back over on of the many picture frames that lined the desk upstairs. I winced when this happened, knowing that it was about a 99.99% probability that the devious couple down the hall heard it. I rushed down the stairs as quickly as I could, nearly tripping myself. I don't care. I just wanted to get out. Still poor David. I wish I could have done something to help. I prepared to make a hasty exit out the front door of that dreaded house, and I stopped dead in my tracks. Holy shit, please tell me. Yep, my shoes were still in the kitchen. I ran for dear life toward the kitchen, locking onto my shoes like a missile. I grabbed them. Yes! Hello, Patrick. No! I, tripped up, I looked up, up to see Aline standing on the upstairs balcony looking down over me with an overly friendly expression on her face. I was frozen in place. Do I run? No, that just looks stupid. Also, she'll know I saw what these creeps are doing up there. <laughs> hey, I managed to utter out. I didn't realize you were still here, said Aline, in a much too friendly manner. Oh yeah, sorry, I said. No need to apologize, she said, but it is getting quite late. You should get home. Don't need your parents coming over here now, do we? No, we didn't, I thought to myself. Amanda to stammer out some stupid reply before saying goodbye and rushing to their front door. Bursting out of it, I've never gone back there, I thought to myself, if only that were true. As I ran home, I looked back at the house, and what I saw chilled me to the bone. In one of the bedroom windows was Aline, just standing there, staring at me. When she saw me look, she raised her hand and waved. That was it. She knew what I saw. Damn it. Well, I ran home as fast as my feet could take me. I immediately told my brothers, told them about the beatings, the chanting, the cauldron, Aline repeatedly addressing somebody or something in the room by the names, the beast and Lucifer. 
Well, my stupid brothers proceeded to spread the story around the whole entire school until everyone knew. Everybody knew that David's parents were the freaky witches at the end of the street, exaggerating and blown out of proportion. The story spread like wildfire. David refused to talk to me, knowing it had to have been me who spread the rumors. I felt horrible for him, but I didn't know what to do. I was too afraid to get the police or child services out after what I had seen at the house. I was too young to know that was what I had to do and that is what not a choice. I tried to push the whole thing into the back of my mind. That was until Halloween night, a few weeks later. Ah, good old All Hallows Eve. It was one of my favorite holidays ever. That Halloween night, I was doing what every kid should be doing trying to pack as much candy as humanly possible into one pillowcase in one night. My friends and I were trying to hit all the local neighborhoods so we'd be able to, to mow down candy for months. However, my plans were ruined when we ran into my brothers and their devious, loudmouthed friends. My brothers took me aside and told me I had no choice but to show them the window of the room I had seen the Hofmeisters doing their deeds in. There was no arguing my way out of it, and, as, and I soon found myself back at the dreaded place. My brothers, their friends, and I stood in the Hofmeister's yard. On the side of their house, in the driveway, were moving trucks. I wasn't surprised those people had been humiliated. I was actually really happy with creeps who wouldn't be living down the street from where I sleep anymore. My brother, Darren, confirmed that they were moving away because of the rumors. Well, before I knew it, my brothers were forcing me to climb a tree to get a better look into that window on the side of the house. They wanted to see in there was anything batshit crazy that would be invisible in it. And of course, being the pushover I was, I climbed the tree. It seemed like all I was going well until the light in the window shut off. This was the first sign that something was wrong. However, before I could get down from the tree and tell my brothers to piss off, we all heard the front door open. Of course, my brothers and their friends took off, leaving me up in my tree. Aline must have heard them, because the next thing I knew, she was prowling the side of the house and examining the muddy footprints left by my brothers and their friends. This is it, I thought. I'm going to accidentally snap a branch or fall or something, so she's going to catch me. But by some miracle, Aline didn't see me up in the tree and went inside. Well, I hightailed it out of there, leaving my pirate hat, part of my Halloween costume, lying on the ground in their yard. I never wanted to even look at that damn house again. I sprinted down the street and through my neighborhood, all the way down to the schoolyard, where my friends and I agreed we'd meet up after my brother's little scheme. And to my utter dismay, my friends were nowhere to be found. All I could see is, at that point, was that my brothers had better still had my damn cane in their possession. I looked around the schoolyard a little bit more. Nothing. Not a sign of my friends. It must have been pretty late at that point. There weren't even trick-or-treaters on the streets anymore. I knew my friends were going to kill me, so I started to head home. A walk home on Halloween night was the coolest thing I've ever. It was peaceful, spooky, and unsettling. All at the same time, I kind of liked that creepy feeling. It was that what gave Halloween its charm. However, I really don't like that feeling of terror. Kind of like that terrifying feeling that came over me when I noticed that I was being followed by Leo Hoffmeister's pickup truck. Great! <laughs> Behind me were Aline and Leo. Leo, of course, being the lap dog that he was, was driving. Aline was sitting in the passenger seat. They knew. 
They knew I had spread these rumors. Who else could have done that? No one. I was their only visitor in their new house. I ran as fast as I could down the street, their old blue pickup truck continuing to cruise after me. I eventually veered off the sidewalk into, into the woods. I ran faster than I had ever in my life that night. Dashing through the woods, I looked back over my shoulder to see their truck, which was parked on the side of the road next to the woods. Holy shit, I thought. I'm dead. These people are nuts. Unfortunately, looking at their truck parked, I did not see the fallen tree trunk in the middle of my path. And that, as you probably guessed, I tripped over it, knocking every last bit of air out of my lungs when I hit the ground. I crawled, gasping and wheezing for air. The next thing I knew, the menacing figure of Aline was standing over me. She looked so frightening in the moonlight, her gray string of hair being illuminated as the rest of her face remained dark and hidden. Even more frightening was that she held out my pirate hat and dropped it into my lap. <laughs> Great. <laughs> that was strike two for sticking my nose where I didn't belong. And somehow I got the feeling that I, it wasn't going to be a third. Oh, Patrick, you took a nasty fall, sneered Aline. Let us take you to our house and take care of you there. We'll make you feel healed and new. I pleaded with her, telling her that I, I was fine and I needed to be home. Of course she didn't listen. The witch clutched my wrist and dragged me out of the forest over to their truck. I was dead meat. I was so freaking dead. Well, I would have been if it hadn't been for a passing neighbor who caught the two of the act of forcing me into their truck. Lena and Leo managed to bullshit their way out of the situation before getting in their truck and quickly driving away, leaving me behind. I went home and told my parents about the entire ordeal. Cops were called, yet after every several days of searching, they were stumped as to the location of the Hoffmeisters. According to them, they weren't at their old house, nor had they been at their new one. No record of their apartments or hotel rooms were on file, either. Those demon-worshipping, child-abusing scum had vanished off the grid? I was fine with that and decided to try and get on with my life, hopefully never ever having to think of the Hoffmeisters again. However, it wasn't long before I began noticing some weird shit going on around my neighborhood. What do I mean by that, you ask? First off, there were a couple of instances where I would see a kid on the street walking up the road in a trance-like straight. And where did they walk to? Why, none other than up that damn hill and into the dreaded Hoffmeister home. Keep in mind that I was paranoid at the time, and my bedroom window looked right out into, onto the street, as I was the only one noticing this stuff. At least the only one in my house. I tried telling my parents, but they were just annoyed by it, telling me to quit letting my fears get the best of me. I still haven't forgiven them for it this, to this day. And again, all right now is to tell them I forgive them. The strange occurrences then began to take an even scarier turn. One night, I woke up to hear the whispering of my little sister, Nancy. I got out of my bed to have a look. As I walked down the hall toward her room, I began to make out what she was saying. Things like, uh-huh, and okay, I'll go. I opened the door just in time to see her standing on her knees in her bed, staring at the window. However, that wasn't the scariest part. The scary part was seeing a scrawny female shadow being projected into Nancy's bedroom wall by, by the moonlight. The second I called out to Nancy, the shadow seemed to scurry off. 
I rushed over to Nancy, asking her who she was talking to. My little sister hadn't the faintest idea of what I was talking about. I told my parents, and this time, my dad jumped out of bed and the prospect of somebody standing outside of Nancy's window. However, he went outside to find no one. Well, I began to run my mouth again. You'd think I would have learned the first time around to my brothers, Darren and Bryce, along with their friends starting to develop a newfound interest in all this Aline talk, sometimes about that creepy place at the end of the street, amused them gave them a rush. They loved the type of stuff. Another thing to know about Darren and Bryce was that they had a knack for sneaking out in the of the house on Saturday nights, something my parents hated, but never really took enough action to prevent. And sure enough, my brothers and their friends snuck out on Saturday night to check out the old Hoffmeister's house. This time, however, I wouldn't accompany them. But I sure came to know about it, because after my brothers went missing that night, one of their friends was smart enough to get out of, of there early on, came about it. The police went over to the Hofmeister home, search warrant and all, and to investigate. They found nothing there. Nothing, however, as usual, I continue to be the one making the terrifying discoveries. This time, it was a VHS tape that I found sticking out of my VCR in my room one morning. Popping the tape in, the first thing I saw on the screen was a static shot of a cellar. The cellar was so dark and dingy looking, almost like a dungeon. Suddenly the camera began to jiggle around a bit, and whoever was picking it up pointed at none other than my brother, Darren. Darren was tied down to a chair, unconscious, looking bruised, battered, and abused. Boo! <laughs> the loud yell from the ca cameraman person jolted Darren awake. The cameraman person was Aline. She began to laugh sickly as Darren came to his senses, immediately beginning to cry. Who the hell would do this to another human being, I thought. That was my brother's too. I watched in horror as she continued to verbally torment Darren, eventually getting physical with him, smacking him in the face, his chest, and eventually his groin area. This woman was a sick, filthy pedophile. It wasn't until I saw Aline begin to pull a sickle out of her pocket that I shut the tape off. Part of me wanted to go on. I had to know if Darren was dead, but couldn't watch. I couldn't bear to witness my brother get tortured like that. I rushed upstairs to my parents' room, leaving the VHS and the cassette player. However, my parents were gone. They had vanished. Oh shit, I thought. Am I next? Well, when I walked downstairs, I stopped dead in my tracks on the stairwell. My blood ran cold as I noticed Aline Hofmeister in my room, carefully removing the VHS tape from my VCR with latex gloves. She caught my stare. I swear, the second we made eye contact, my heart skipped a beat. She grinned at me and waved, saying, I'll be back for you too tonight. And just like that, the witch climbed my window and was gone. I, ran to I rushed to Nancy's bedroom, now frightened out of my wits. Oh, thank God, Nancy was still there. She was sleeping soundly. That is until I woke her up. I ran in and screaming and crying, probably scaring the poor girl to death. I didn't tell her about the videotape, just told the police. That night, our neighbor, Betty, frail old woman, babysat us at our house. No one had a clue where the heck our parents were. Outside of our home were two police officers keeping watch of the house. Betty was always a great neighbor, such a nice old lady. And that night, our neighbor, Betty, frail old woman, babysat us at our house. No one had a clue where the heck our parents were. 
Outside of our home were two police officers keeping watch over the house. Betty was always a great neighbor, such a nice old lady, the nicest woman you'd ever meet. I'm just sure she's in heaven right now. If she didn't go to heaven, well, then I don't know who possibly could. Anyways, I was pretty antsy that night, even with the cops guarding the house, and I unfortunately was antsy for every good reason. When the sun went down, I heard over at our back door open and close. Was it my parents? I suddenly got very excited, rushing to the door to see them. However, all that was there was one person's muddy footprints on my floor. Something wasn't right, but no one could have gotten into the house, could they? The cops were outside. I rushed upstairs to get Betty. Running into my parents' room, I heard the shower running. Banging on the door, I called to Betty to try and get her attention. No answer. Then I realized nobody showers with their hearing aid in. Oh no. That's when I heard Nancy scream downstairs. I rushed downstairs, really not wanting to go into her room, but I know I had to. When I got to her room, yep, you guessed it, she was gone. Window flung open. Where the hell were the cops? Taking matters into my own hands, I got my shoes and ran out the, out the door. Running down the street, my eyes adjusted to the darkness just in time to see Nancy entering the forest, the same forest that lies next to the hill upon which the dreaded Hofmeister home sits. I called out to her, desperately, but she was in a trance, just like those other kids I had seen, but no, no one could believe me then. Mustering up every ounce of courage I had, I ran after Nancy as she disappeared into the darkness of the woods. I ran deep to the dark forest, my feet making loud crunching noises on the gravel bath behind me. Catching up to Nancy, I pleaded and begged her to come too. She couldn't snap out of it. I began pulling her away, but she continued to walk deeper into the woods. Then to make matters worse, I spotted Aline, who was about 30 to 40 feet down the path from us. I couldn't snap Nancy out of this damn trance. I'll never forget the way her eyes looked, hypnotized and dilated. It reminded me of the trance that the snake Ka from the Jungle Book put people in. Out of pure desperation, I reared back and slapped Nancy in the face, finally slapping her out of, it, of her trance. She had no idea what the hell was going on. She just knew to run from Aline. Aline immediately broke into a run after us. I'd never seen a woman in her 60s run that fast. Faster and faster we ran. We were getting away until Nancy's nightgown got caught in a tree branch. I tugged and tugged at her nightgown, desperately trying to free her. Aline got closer and closer snickering sickly under a breath. When Aline got within about 15 feet of us, Nancy's gown finally tore away from the damn tree branch. We darted it to the exit of the wood, rushing out into the street. I looked back over my shoulder just in time to see Aline turn around and disappear into the darkness of the woods. We looked around in the house. We looked around in the street, trying to find the police car that was supposed to be guarding our house. When we finally found them, they didn't even realize we were missing. The morons were smoking freaking Cubans instead of guarding our house from kidnappers. Unbelievably, I had never felt so neglected and unprotected in my life. My parents were gone, and the police weren't even looking after me. The, the idiotic officers went and got Betty, driving the three of us down to the police station. Finally, a place I'd be safe, right? <laughs> Trying to explain to the cops that my sister was placed on...
some sort of voodoo hypnotism spell was like talking to a brick wall. Some cops are so ignorant, not open-minded at all, that's something I don't miss around Earth. People in, in, in authority were such douchebags. At least Betty agreed to stay the night there with us. See, what I'm talking about, <laughs> nicest lady you'd ever meet. At some point, I fell asleep in the police station, and so did Betty and Nancy. What, what we woke up to was not at all what anybody ever wants to wake up to. Outside of the station, a war filled the air. The war was like nothing I'd ever heard. The war sounded like it came from straight from the mouth of hell. The screams of the, of the policemen filled out the errands outside as we listened, scared for our lives. It wasn't until the roaring died down and the screaming stopped that we dared look out the window. And let me say, it wasn't a pleasant sight. Dozens of bodies were just scattered all over the parking lot. And here we were, tucked in a room in the back of the station, helpless. Nancy, Betty, and I crept down the halls of the station, trying to find an exit. We passed an office just in time to get a look at the one of the computer's monitors, one that had the a CCTV footage being fed to it. What we saw on the monitor was shocking. Aline ripping a side door of the station off its hinges. What was even more shocking was her face. Her eyes were demonic, her skin rotted and scarred like a zombie. Her teeth looked grotesque, and if she had meth mouth or something, what the hell did she look at like that? And how that, and now I know the answer. She was possessed. That sick witch had willingly conjured up a spell to get herself possessed just to get her hands on us. The witch ripped the door off its hinges, rushing down the hallway toward us, and she had it cornered in the office, and Betty, oh God, poor Betty, I couldn't believe my eyes, Lean just picked Betty up by the throat, taunting her. It wasn't until Betty began to utter the Lord's Prayer that Lean was sent into a fit of rage, pinning Betty to the wall, tearing her limb from limb, right in front of Nancy and me, too. Looking back, I can't even believe a five-year-old girl was forced to watch something so awful. I had never seen anything so terrible. Of course, now I've seen a billion times worse. Well, after Betty was slowly disemboweled, Aline collected Nancy and, and me. Leo drove up to the police station and into the blue truck we went. No neighbor to save us this time. Before I knew, I was back at the awful place known as the Hoffmeister home. No furniture this time, no creepy portraits, no lights on, just an empty shell of pure evil. Aline and Leo took us into the living room, where they began to bicker with one another. Leo wanted to have his fun with Nancy, but Aline told him to wait. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I wanted to get up and rip his head off. If I only, if only I found, if only I could have. To this day, I wish I could have beat the hell out of that sick bastard. During this, I started to wonder what David was. Probably meeting the same fate my brothers and their friends did, and my parents. Oh God, please tell me they didn't too. Leo eventually got impatient with Aline, telling her he was going to get what he wanted for a change. He turned to look at my little sister, precious little Nancy, grinning. Come here, sunshine, he claimed. 
The rotten creep threw himself upon Nancy. I rushed at him, attempting to stop him. All I could, all I could accomplish was giving a backhand to the face. When Alina intervened, telling him he needed to wait, she received a punch to the jaw. Well, that was a horrible idea on Leo's part. Needed, did that moron forget his wife was possessed? Aline grabbed Leo, picking him up by the back of his neck. Nancy and I took our chance and ran away. Of course, the front door was right in the path of Aline, so we had to run deeper into the house to find another way out. I looked back over my shoulder just in time to see Aline begin to bite down hard on her husband's face, chewing it off like a dog in a bone. Leo's cries of pain were both horrifying and reassuring to me. He deserved what he got. Nancy and I rushed to the house, desperately trying to find a way out. Why'd that house had to be so big? It was like a maze, and the fact that we could hear Aline's demonic growling as she desperately tried to re relocate us, well, that didn't help either. Finally, we found a window that looked out over the side of the hill. I quickly unlocked it, hearing Aline's footsteps grow nearer and nearer. There was a screen on the window, and I reared back and threw my hands into it, tearing it. Guided Nancy out, all the way listening to the haunting sounds of Aline's feet hitting the wooden floor behind us. As Nancy jumped out, I yelled at her to run. I didn't have to tell her twice. As I began making my way out of the window, I suddenly felt the hand, claw of, a, of Aline grab my shoulder. I screamed out, but no one was coming to help. Aline picked me up with her, the strength of an Olympic strongman, carrying me down the hallway and over to the basement. No, please, no, I thought. Not the basement. Please, not the basement. Well, basement it was. As Aline flung open the door and carried me down into the musty cellar, she got the bottom of the stairway, clutching me in her arms and flicking a light on. Immediately, a grisly figure was displayed by the dim light of the basement. It was a seven-foot-tall statue of the devil himself, complete with ram horns, ghoulish eyes, saber teeth, forked tail, and hooked feet. This was what they were bowing down to that night. It must have been, but now it was in the basement. Aline plopped me down in the wooden chair so that I was face to face with the horrible statue. She tied me down. This time, it really isn't, I thought. Aline then pulled out a black book with some sort of satanic symbol on the front of it. I tried to beg, I tried begging and pleading with her, telling her I was, I was sorry for the rumors I spread. I even offered to tell the whole story to the town and that I was lying and that the tales were made up. Why did I even bother? Aline was having none of it. I then began to cry, asking her why she had to kill my brothers and my parents. Once I said this, Aline de developed a confused expression on her face. I did what to them, she asked, in her deep, demonic voice. You killed my parents, I said. Patrick, said Aline. Lucifer does not want just to see people die. He wants to see them in hell with him. What, I asked, in a sheepish tone. Why, you could say your family is more alive than ever now, she exclaimed. And that's why the awful truth was revealed. Out from the dark corner of the basement behind the statue came my parents, my brothers, their friends, and those kids I had seen walking into the house. David was also among them, but they walked in a zombie-like manner. When they all stepped into the light, I saw into their pitch-black, possessed eyes.
Those horrible eyes were not the eyes of the people I knew. They all looked dirty and abused. And their skin looked like it had begun to decay. Aline grinned with a glee at this sight. You see, Patrick, she said, Mommy and Daddy are here. Say hi to Mommy and Daddy. I looked at my parents, desperately trying to get them to respond to me, but they were gone. It was an awful feeling. Hail Lucifer, shouted Aline. Hail Lucifer, repeated the hypnotized people in monotone zombie fashion. Aline then looked at me, and now you'll join them. Aline opened the black book and began reciting the incantations. The zombies, the people I once knew, encircled me and began reciting with Aline. I pleaded with my brothers, with David and my, bro my parents, but it was no use. They were lost. Suddenly the statues of life, like lips, began to quiver intensely. I thought I was dreaming. It's funny, when something like this happens, all you think to your yourself is, holy crap, is this really happening? The statue's eyelids began to quiver as well, before opening the re to reveal pitch black eyes. The eyes began to glow a vibrant red, just as the statue's jaw began to unhinge, and then a loud roar erupted, erupted from the statue. This roar was even worse than Aline's demonic roar, louder and much deeper, while mist in the shape of a human skull started to rise up from behind the statue as Aline shouted in English. Beastie's hungry. I, sc I screamed a blood-curdling scream as the mist made a beeline for me, shooting straight into my mouth, down my, my throat. I screamed as I felt the evil spirit make its way into my belly, wiggling around my in my insides. The high-pitched scream slowly began to grow deeper and deeper, turning into a demonic roar. This is what I felt like to become the possessed. I was Aline's now, but even worse, I was Lucifer's. The last months of my life were agonizing as I lost myself, lost who I had as I was a person. I, began, I became the evil zombie slave of Aline Hoffmeister, working to serve the devil himself. It was like a dream. I was in control of my actions, but I wasn't at the same time. My slave labor ended when my body began to slowly decay. That was when Aline disposed of me likely going on to, uh, to replace me with another poor child. At, the, at that is why I am here now. It doesn't make sense to me at all. I don't deserve to be in this place. Sure, I lived out the last moments of my life serving God's adversary, but it wasn't my choice. Why then am I here? Some sort of mistake? Did heaven run out of, of a space, or does anyone just go here? Are my parents here too? My brothers? Perhaps that is the worst part. I'm not even granted the answers to these questions. I just live in a total darkness, an extreme heat. Regardless, I know it's Aline's fault I am here. It's all Aline's fault. It was Aline who stole me from heaven's true light. And that is why from hell I write. Sorry for that. It's just I used to like to rhyme when I was young. Credit to Jake Whip. Thank you, girls and boys, for listening to yet another podcast by yours truly. Um, I am so obliged to see that I am getting a couple of 
um, looks and likes on my Spotify. Um, if you guys like this one, um, just uh, like, comment, subscribe. Doesn't really matter to me. I'm just kind of doing this for more of something I like to do. I've always been a horror fanatic from a young age, so I will continue to do what I like. Um, and hopefully I'll make something out of it. But uh, if you guys like what, I, what I'm doing, just always stay tuned for um, some podcasts. I'm trying to do it every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. But my work schedule is kind of foobarbed. But um, without further ado, I will catch you guys in the next video. All right. The Grateful Alchemist out. Peace.